theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaquia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning, theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Good morning, Dr. Joy. Good morning, Dr. Amy. How are you? I'm doing great. I am a little nervous about this conversation today is I don't want to scare anyone who is navigating their own way through high school and college mm -hmm. and advising mm -hmm. themselves. But I do want to say it's a challenge. It is a difficult process and you have to be super savvy to navigate it. Otherwise, there's a lot of pitfalls. How was it for you in high school and in college? I know for me, in high school, I went to a college preparatory high school. So there was some advising, but for me, there was not a lot. I felt like the focus was really on the high accelerating students. They received a lot of attention. I didn't spend much time with a counselor in high school. And as a result, what I found is that my friends were going to Ivy League schools after graduation and I was going to a community college. I am not knocking community colleges because that is a great way to get started and to save money, but my parents were not prepared. It was instilled in me that I had to go to college, but they did not financially prepare for me to go to college. They knew nothing about filling out financial aid forms, any of that. Each semester, my father was just writing me a check to go to school because they didn't understand the whole concept of financing uh, college. I was at Daly Community College in Chicago. I'm in line with my check. I'm going to register for courses. I mean, of course, we, don't, we didn't have all the computer things then, all of that. And you're, sitting at, you're standing in line with people who had been there telling me what courses to take, what professors to take, what professors not to take. And that was my experience from high school going into college. And then once I got into college, I was one of those students who read the catalog, looked at the study plan in the catalog, and kind of created my own way. And that cost me an additional year. In That's college. what I'm talking about. And when we are relying on trying to look at the paper in the catalog. We're looking at the courses in the catalog, but we're not taking into some consideration how this course could also meet this other requirement. Or if there are some, like at Governor State University, we have prior learning assessments that can take into consideration previous experience. Two things. I had a decent relationship with my high school advisor 
But I was also told, well, you can do anything, anything you want. I had good grades across the board. So no particular subject area rose, you know, came to the surface and, and really directed me. And this idea of, oh, you could do anything wasn't a good focus. I needed more direction. Fast forward, got my English degree and went in the story. I'm sure our listeners have heard a time or two is eventually went into teaching and then to higher ed. But let me just say this about my mom. She went first person to go to college, didn't know she had to ask for directions to go to the community college close by. Other people were always driving. She's like, well, how do I even get there? She had it in her mind that she was going to be an English teacher. She always admired her English teachers, had some really good teachers, and she wanted to be one herself. She walked in to register, not knowing what really to expect or to do. There was a sign that said, be a nurse. Well, she had not even thought about being a nurse. She didn't know any nurses. She said, okay, I'll be a nurse. And she did. A sign in the front lobby said to be a nurse. And so that's the direction she took. It's amazing what influences us. If you you became the English teacher. Yes, I did become the English teacher. So I wanted to become a nurse. That was my lifelong dream to become a nurse. And my inspiration was the sitcom Julia, which featured a black nurse, Diane Carroll and Dr. Welby. So that was my inspiration for becoming a nurse. It had nothing to do with any school counselor. Or college counselor or advising. Yes, we need to talk to our guest today. Nicole Delali is an undergraduate academic advisor at Governor State University. She advises for the biology, chemistry, English, mathematics, and the related teacher education programs. And as well as social science. She also advises for the post-bac certificate programs in biology, chemistry, English, math, and social science. Ms. Delali holds an associate's degree, bachelor's degree in social science, secondary education, and a master's degree in higher education administration. And she maintains that secondary education teaching license. She has been working in higher education and advocating for students since 2008. When she is not at work, she enjoys spending time with her family, going on nature walks and cooking. So we need to tap into that little skill too. Welcome to our show, Nicole. Thanks for having me, ladies. I appreciate it. Good morning. You look bright and beautiful this morning. Welcome, Nicole. Dr. Amy and I, we were just talking about our experience with school counselors. And we were kind of talking about in high school and in college. For me, I didn't have a lot of guidance at all. What inspired me for my major was watching sitcoms like Julia and Dr. Welby. That's how I decided to become a nurse. And later on that changed, but that was my inspiration. And the people in line at Daly Community College 
are the ones that helped me create my schedule when I first went to college, because I knew nothing about creating the schedule. Even though I went to a college preparatory high school, there was still so much missing. So this is very, this is a very important topic. I think it's important for high school students, college students, and I think it's very important for parents. And I hope it's very important for advisors. Just to get to know you better before we get started into a lot of questions about counseling, let's talk about your experience in elementary school and high school. And what was your perception of teachers and advisors? So just talk about your early experiences. So I don't recall like ever having any advisement, you know, elementary, junior high, things like that, right? I remember early on, like when I would get So full disclosure, I needed additional assistance when I was a young learner, right? I couldn't sit still for nothing. It was interesting because they said I was set back in terms of my reading ability, but I was advanced in terms of math. And then one year it would flip and I went from being an honors algebra, then to all of a sudden honors social studies classes and things like that. So, so the only time I really ever got pulled aside to talk to like a guidance counselor was when they wanted to tell me that they were adjusting my schedule, but there was never a why behind it. So I'll be honest, I often wondered, like, why was I being pulled away from my friends? And so I would learn as I would reacclimate with new peers in the class, like, oh, we're gifted. That's why we're in this special math class or, oh, or unfortunately, you know, when I was having to come in before the start of the school day for additional help with reading, you would hear the word like dumb and things like that. It was, it was just really unfortunate, but there was never any value built behind her or really an understanding of what the decision was based off of or what exactly the need was for it and stuff like that. So that's kind of the most early experience that I can think of with that. And then come high school, I think I really just fell through the cracks. I moved quite a bit throughout my childhood. And so I ended up switching high schools. I went to one high school for my freshman, sophomore year. And then the start of my junior year, I started at a different high school in a completely different suburb with a completely different socioeconomic status, different makeup of the student body. And the only academic advising session I had was my first day when they were giving me my schedule to tell me like, these are the classes you have left, by the way. These are the only electives that we have spots remaining in. So you're going to take woodworking and drafting. And I was like, you know, for me, I wasn't completely interested in those things, but it ended up being a blessing because they were really cool classes to take. But that was the only time I met with anybody. And where I went to high school at, you had to take your ACT, right? So nobody advised me on the importance of an ACT score. So I took it. And then I remember I'm kind of competitive. My first score wasn't the best and nobody ever took, told me to retake it. It wasn't horrible. I can't remember what it was, but I remember thinking some of my friends had higher scores and I'm like, I can do better than you. Like, I know that's horrible, but that's what motivated me. Not even thinking like, oh, I need this to get into college. Cause I'll be honest. I didn't necessarily think college was in the cards for me. I didn't know what I necessarily wanted to do. And in my mind, I was like, there was no way I can afford it. So I retook it. I got, I got a really awesome score that made me feel great about myself. And then I just started asking my friends. Cause once again, I didn't have any guidance counseling appointments. It wasn't from an academic advisor is I started asking my friends, well, where are you going? What are you doing for school? And where I was at for my high school, a lot of students, it was very common to be going into the community college. It was the most affordable option. One of the best decisions I ever made because there I was able to take classes and kind of figure out what I wanted to do through various classes. It was a little unfortunate because I stumbled a little bit, right? Like I didn't have any advisement on take these classes or earn an associate. I ended up taking classes I didn't even need, but for me, there was value in it and it helped me determine what I wanted to do. 
And then even at the community college, I didn't know that there were advisors to go talk to about what classes you should be taking or even planning for college. So there was a little bit of a shock when I got to the community college. I signed up for my payment plan. I was all proud of myself because at least I had the money to pay for the first payment of the payment plan. So I'm like, okay, we made it through that hurdle. And then they were like, go get your textbooks. I thought I was all savvy. I found out that there was a textbook store outside of the school. I can go there and get my textbooks. It would be cheaper. So I was thinking like 20, 30 bucks a textbook. Oh no, that chemistry textbook bundle was almost $200 for the lab book, the two textbooks, everything. And I freaked, I couldn't afford it because I did not plan. And even if I plan, and I'll be honest too, I didn't even complete a FAFSA. I didn't even complete the federal application for federal student aid because I didn't know what that was at the time. And I could have greatly benefited from it. Instead, I really struggled waiting tables and bartending my way through those first few years of college, even. It wasn't until I transferred to my four-year institution where I was like, when I was signing up and touring the school, I'm like, how does anyone afford this? Like, oh, well, you have to fill out this in order to get your your aid. I'm like, where has this been this whole time? Exactly. I mean, navigating that registration process alone, financial aid process, paying for college. Yeah. What were some things that you did to navigate the registration in your early college career? Get kicked out of the line. <laughs> no, really, because I didn't have an advisor. So what would happen is you waited in line for like an hour, right? You finally got your turn. They're like, no, you need to do this first. You need to go to the registrar and get this. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to start all over again. Like it was so frustrating. So you get kicked from one line to the next line. You maybe run into a friend and be like, hey, what are you taking? They told me I couldn't take this. Now I have to go take a placement exam. Nobody told me I need a placement exam for this class. So you were literally running all over the campus. So really it was just a matter of trial and error. I'll be honest, those first couple of years. And then eventually learning, this is where the advising skills started to build, right? Like asking friends early on, but then as I would get to the window, okay, I completed registration. Instead of just having them be like, okay, we're done with you. I'd go, who do I need to see next? What do I need next? And then when I go to that window and I would make sure I ask them, who should I speak to next? Anything else you think I should know? Like I noticed if you didn't ask, you weren't told. It was just almost assumed that you knew what to do. And looking back, it was mind boggling me. I'm like, here I am 18 years old. Nobody in my household had gone to college. So I didn't have any help navigating that. And my parents didn't know how to help me. There was even times where my mom would say, Nick, I'm almost afraid to help you because we don't want to mess it up for you by giving you the wrong advice. So like I was showing up to these things solo, which is fine. You know, you're 18, you're supposed to be an adult. Nobody was forthcoming with the information. There wasn't any roadmap given to you like, okay, day one, show up here, let alone even people to tell me about additional resources. I met more people in classes. So I would ask people, okay, or I'd ask teachers, what comes next after this? Right. I was going to say at first, we have such similar experiences. Like, did you go to school where I did? But we're like 20 years apart, really, Nicole. And it saddens me that you had a similar experience than I had. And what we're really sharing is that we're having first college generation experience where our parents aren't knowledgeable enough to ask those questions where the counseling has kind of dropped off. So before we get into something else, I want to talk about what school counselors actually do. And let's start with high school first and your perception of the role of school counselors, because from my many, many visits to different high schools in different areas, different demographics, and I see that counseling is different per school. It seems to be a lot of disparity 
when it comes to counseling in high school. Can you talk about the role and responsibilities of a high school counselor? Yeah, so there's a couple interesting points in there to be made. So as a student, when I was in high school, to me, counseling was you only went there when you were sent there because you were in trouble. To me, that's what the counselors were, the disciplinarians. It wasn't until later as a professional, what I realized the full scope of what counselors do at high schools and things like that. And you're right, as somebody that has worked in the recruiting field and visited numerous high schools, I do see that there is a difference amongst the high schools in terms of the roles that counselors take on and things like that. Now, as a professional, I see the role of a counselor to be almost like a jack of all trades point person to help people that are troubled and need to be referred for additional services, general counseling, a safe space, but also to help with that college planning and to make sure that they're asking the questions to understand how much knowledge or base knowledge there is for this student or their family to help direct them in the right direction. So that's kind of how I see the role of a counselor is to be a support system holistically, not just for emotional well-being, but for future planning and things like that. Yeah, so I've gone in high schools, and it seems like the schools that are high-need schools, the counselors, they serve that role, just like what you experience, where they're dealing with behavior, they're dealing with family issues, they're dealing with social-emotional issues. And then you go to counseling, like what my son had, he went to a private high school, and the counselors are there to guide you through high school and to college. That is what their role is. They don't get into all the social emotional aspect of it. The role of a counselor is very different depending on the type of school that you go to. It's not surprising then when you look at a high need school and you see the disparity of those students that are going to college and how they might navigate going to college. Yeah. Well, there's also a difference, right? Some people, depending on socioeconomic status or school districting and things like that are operating in triage mode, right? We're just trying to get through the day. We're just trying to get you through this hurdle. And there isn't the time or the resources to focus on the future. And, you know, we even see this in higher ed. It's hard to have conversations with students to talk about tomorrow when we can't even think about how we're going to eat today, right? Filling basic needs, right? You got to have your hierarchy of needs met really before you can think about the other stuff. What do you know now that you wish you had known your first year of college? Completing knowing the resources that were available for funding, because that could have freed up so much time. Like I said, I was working like a dog. I mean, I was working more than 40 hours a week to pay for my college education. I remember even when I went to my four-year institution, because both of those institutions, you had to pay before you registered. So even the upfront payment plan was, whoo. It was pretty hefty, but I remember being up all night, literally working, sometimes getting home at two o'clock in the morning, then having to be at the cashier's office by 7 a.m. to make my payment. Otherwise, they were going to kick me out of class. So I wish I knew more about the resources that were available financially. Because then the other things that I appreciate now, I mean, I couldn't have changed where I went for my four-year institution. I picked it out of location. It was close to home. I had a busted Ford Escort that I knew if it broke down, at least then I could still make the walk the few blocks into um, the city to get to school. But my school did not have professional academic advisors. So looking back, I wish I had an academic advisor, but the opportunity wasn't at that institution. But I'm so thankful for my experience at that institution. It was a great school. They had the small class sizes, which is something that I knew I needed. 
in addition to location, I knew I couldn't be somebody that was in a lecture hall of like hundreds of students. This is how I learn. I have to interact with people to learn. This is part of my learning style. So I wish I just knew more about the resources and my options. Cause I think too, not knowing those resources as I'm, I'm talking to you and telling you this, like clearly I made choices based on limited options because I didn't know my resources. So I felt stuck. And literally when I was looking at the options for colleges only had maybe two or three based on my concern with commute costs. So I wish I knew more about the options. I want to know, you said stuck and you were talking a little bit ago about freaking out with the textbook cost. Can you share a little bit more about how did you face those hurdles? Were there some people you could call upon or to help like to get you through some of those obstacles? So there was tears. I'll be honest. I remember freaking out in the middle of the textbook store. Like I felt the blood leave my body. Cause I was like, you've come this far now, now what? Like textbooks are going to stop you. But even then, like nobody told me about the option of going to like the library and potentially potentially renting textbook from your own library within the school. Like I never knew these options. So I freaked out and I didn't know of anybody at school to call to and talk to us. As far as I was concerned, everybody I talked to was behind a glass window. It was like a teller type uh-huh. system. Like, so how were they even going to help me figure out my textbooks? They didn't really care to tell me any other information. So I went home and I basically cried to my older sister. I mean, I knew Dane well. My parents didn't have the money. I grew up my par- from very modest means and five siblings. And she was like, okay, fine, let's go. Let's see how bad could this be? And I'm like, it's bad. You know, one textbook, it's a couple hundred bucks. She goes, there's no way. I'm like, well, it's multiple, but the teacher and teachers, and she's like, talk to a teacher, ask him if you need all these books. I'm like, the teacher says I need all these textbooks. So I was freaking out, but thank God my sister, I constantly praise her and thank her for this because like I said, my family didn't have money, but I did have love and support in that, that Nick, if this is what you're going to do, we're going to support you in any way that you can. You'll have a roof over your head. I definitely had a lot of love in my house. My sister was the one that championed and pulled through, showed up at the textbook store. She definitely freaked out a little bit too, because she wasn't even expecting it to be that much. So I think I definitely put her out financially. But then I remember after we ran out, you know, she checked out, she was a little upset and she said, okay, now you have your books. At the end of the semester, you're going to sell these. And over the course of the semester, you're going to save money. And that's going to be your seed money for textbooks going forward. So I did this this once for you. Now you have to find a way to plan ahead. But like I said, I didn't know to plan ahead for textbooks. But thank God for that one little seed there, that one little startup, if you will. That was huge. And some people might think that that's silly. Oh, textbooks for the community college. No, because it was hundreds of dollars that I didn't have. And had I not got the books, think about it. I couldn't go to class and who knows what would have happened from that. So I always talk to her about that. And we always talk about, about paying it forward and reaching back to other people. And so, you know, it is very important. Textbooks are really important being able to finance that. And another thing, very important is love and support. We know what we both talked about, our families didn't necessarily have the means. They didn't know the wherewithal to navigate this, but like you, it was an expectation for me to go to college. So I did have the love and support. And that's a big deal. Just having that encouragement to go. And for me, starting off, my father was the champion. I said, tuition is this amount. He'd write me a check. Then I say, but I need textbooks and textbooks are this amount. He would write me a check because like you, I didn't fill out a FAFSA. I didn't know if I was eligible for any money. And then when I was 19, I got married and uh, went to a four-year university. And and really, I could definitely couldn't afford college then. Like, 
oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? And that's when I learned about doing a FAFSA. And they told me, well, now that you're married, you're an independent and you're poor and you're independent. So you get money. It's amazing how we discover these things. So I was happy to have some of those champions in my life. And I learned that word from you. And you talked about champions. Talk about the champions in your life that made it possible for you to be where you are now. Yeah. So really quick, I did see in the chat, they they mentioned eBooks are great. They're great, but we're old and there weren't eBooks when we were doing our early college. Absolutely. And in our, in our college, in our, in the division of education, we are doing everything to make costs more affordable to candidates, putting more things online, you know, not just eBooks, but putting more resources online. It doesn't always have to be a textbook to lead people to knowledge. Just like this podcast that we're doing, that in itself can be a resource that's added to a lesson, to a curriculum. So in terms of champions, clearly my sister, right? She was there to help me financially when I needed it and things like that. But my parents, like you mentioned, so my dad didn't have the financial means, but it was an expectation. Like you're going to do something, whether it's a trade or you're going to go to college, you are going to make something of yourself, especially because my dad would reference, because my dad is also an immigrant that he was looked down upon through his early years of school because he didn't necessarily speak the language fluently. So he had a sore spot for education in terms of feeling like maybe we were taking advantage of opportunities we did have. So there was always definitely that push. But my mom, huge champion, right? Like once again, didn't have the financial means. So I was working on a a really janky desktop computer. And one night I was typing out my thesis. The thing crashed, took my paper with it. I think it was like 15, 20 pages in. I just went into in their room in the middle of the night, just crying. They were like probably so freaked out, like three o'clock in the morning. I'm like, the computer broke and it took my paper. I can't do this. I'm done. I'm done. My mom woke up. She was like, you did it once. You can do it again. Start typing. I'll make you coffee. We're going to get you through this. I'll drive you to school if you're too tired to drive. Things like that. And I'll be honest, like I'm grown, right? But I'm still going to call my mom in a few months. I'm going to be adding a middle school endorsement onto my teaching license. So I have to sit for that exam. And she's kind of my good luck charm, right? Because when I took my basic skills or my content exam, my mom drove me to all my exams So I could study up until the very last minute before I walked into the building. So she would drop me off and pick me up and I'm going to do it again because I passed all of them on the first time, did great on them. So I think she's my good luck charm. So I've had some great champions in terms of supporting me saying, we know you got this in you can do it, you know, and then my husband too. I met my husband while I was in college and I remember towards the end of my bachelor's degree when I was getting ready to student teach and I knew we were going to get married. I knew we were going to get engaged. I remember telling him like, don't bother proposing to me why I'm in college. Cause I cannot get sidetracked. So I thought that was going to scare him off at one point. Cause I took a little bit longer to finish college. I was like, so don't even do it. So he waited till I was in student teaching to propose, but he was always like, you got this. You're smarter than, you know, always rooting me on. And even through my master's degree and now going on to looking to pursue my doctorate, like my husband is amazing and reminding me what I'm capable of. You also are a champion. I want you to talk about ways in which you have been a champion. And you said you have siblings. How are you an advisor before you ever had the title? Yes. Yeah, so you, I think you learn early on some people you take on that role, especially when you come from a lot of siblings, moms will say they're watching. They're always watching. Why well, learn my siblings were watching And I knew if I was having this hard time and I was the first one of my siblings to navigate through this, 
I knew I needed to take notes, so to speak, so I can reach back and feed this information to them. But I also found as I was trying to like get information from classmates, I would find classmates that would say, I don't know if you find out, let me know, or heck if I know, or I would meet classmates that would actually get so disenchanted that they were going to be leaving school. And I was like, wait a minute, no, let's find this out. Like I would get people amped up. No, let's, let's go talk to the teacher after class. Let's go do this. So I found as I was going through college that I would get the information and I was so excited to share it with other people that didn't have it. Guys, I found this because I thought it was a way for us little cohort of people that maybe the odds were stacked against us to break down that wall. Like I got something that's going to help us. Let's, let's keep pushing forward. And so you end up forming, I think this unspoken bond where everybody's sharing information to help further each other's education. That's where I found myself unofficially taking on this role is helping people with course planning, like, oh yeah, no, I took that last fall. Make sure you take this. Or I hate to even say it. Don't see that professor. Go talk to this professor about this class. Yeah, that definitely happened in terms of wanting to make sure that I could help my siblings through college, but also making sure that I can help my peers too. It felt good to do it. So we are talking to Nicole Delally. She works at Governor State University and she is the advisor for secondary education. But not only is she the advisor for secondary education, she's also a professional educator herself. She holds a license in social science and a master's degree. And I think that that adds a lot of value when you're trying to advise other teacher candidates. You're not just an advisor. You've been there where they're trying to go. And we talked about the impact of bad advising. You're spending money that you don't necessarily have to spend. Financially, you could be getting loans that you don't necessarily need. And now you have that debt. Or like me, you're in school an extra year because of bad advising or no advising because you don't know what you don't know. How did your experience impact your decision for wanting to become a professional advisor? Because you were an advisor, like Dr. Amy said, long before you were doing this professionally. And how did your experience shape how you advise? Yeah, I know you you were just mentioning some of the challenges it presents, but there's also the stress and anxiety piece. Bad advising or experiences early on in your education can just literally lead to clinical anxiety. In elementary school, a teacher that kind of was upset about the amount of work it required to administer my IEP and announced it to my whole class, and that created anxiety for me about going to school. So yes, or even funding college, it can create so much anxiety that it pulls away from your studies. I just wanted to make sure that I, I touched on that piece there. Yeah. So I finished up my teaching licensure program through my four-year institution. I got lucky and I landed a full-time permanent sub position and was doing that. Teacher was out ill. So I got to assume, assume the full classroom duties and all that good stuff. But I was also waiting tables because I was like, oh my God, I don't have a full-time teaching job yet. These student loans are due. So I was still waiting tables and whatnot. And one day a customer came in and I found myself advising their child, like asking them, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, oh my God. And I started giving them all this information. They were like, why aren't you doing this for a living? Like, why are you here? Oh, and I wasn't even thinking about what they were saying to me. And I was like, oh no, I'm a teacher. Like I didn't even identify as a waitress at the point. I was like, oh no, I'm a teacher. Like I'm just doing this like on the side. And they brought up the counselor and they're like, why aren't you a school guidance counselor? Or you should look into doing this. Like, why don't you work for a college? Like you were the biggest supporter of going to college and how it can change your life. And you haven't even fully landed on your career yet. 
and you're just so passionate about it. And it was that conversation that made me realize, oh, this doesn't really even feel like work to me to talk about this. Being a champion of going to college and talking about these things and helping guide people, it didn't feel stressful. It felt natural. It felt organic. And that was the moment when I was like, this could be a career for me because I didn't really see that going through college, right? Like at my four institution, the faculty were your advisor that you were supposed to go see. And I could never catch who mine was. Made me realize this could be a job. And that's how I landed into academic advising. And that shaped me in a fact that I never want to be too formal with our students. I don't want them to think I'm not approachable, right? I want our students to be able to, Amy heard me say this word, unpack things with me. If a student comes to me and says that they're leaving school, I can't accept that answer. Don't just tell me you're leaving school, you're dropping out. I want to know why. And if you're saying it's too stressful, what do you mean? What does stress look like to you? I want to unpack it and know what is going on. What is stressing you out? What's going great about, especially, you know, attending governor state, what are the things that students are doing great? So once again, I'm constantly learning so I can leverage things. When students tell me they have a good experience with something then I'm going to share that with other students, like, Hey, if you're struggling with this, you might want to go contact this person. I heard a student had great success going through remediation with this particular faculty member, or you're going to love this teacher's class because they do A, B, C, and D, or you know what, have you reached out to this resource on campus? So I find I'm still always learning, which satisfies that itch for me. So that's why I, one of the reasons why I love advising. I definitely want to make sure that I'm that advisor that is approachable, that students know that they can come to me because knowing that I didn't have that resource when I think about, even if it was there, but it was presented in a more pretentious model, I don't think I would have sought it out because I was so insecure about what I did not know. Because once again, if you don't know what you don't know, how do you know what to ask? And that's what I felt like when I first started in college, apparently I wasn't asking the right questions. I'd like to shift the focus just a little bit to think about our high school advisors and counselors and college counselors Let's share some ideas on what good advising looks like. What would be a a good model or some advice that you could share with our listeners as a model of what good advising looks like? Yeah, so I think I would hope that same approach, you know, making sure that students feel like there's a safe space that they can talk about what they feel like they've already identified as their barriers to success. But I think we have to be more proactive. I hate to break it down to a checklist, but I think we need to present students before college with what are potential struggles that you're going to face and present those scenarios and ask them, how are you prepared to handle that? Hey, if this happens in college, who are you going to go to? And if they seem dumbfounded or they don't know, let's start educating them then who they're going to reach out to at the colleges. And if that resource doesn't exist, who they're going to go back to then, or even building mentorship opportunities. I almost wish somebody would have said, okay, so nobody around you has been to college. Let's get you connected with somebody who even maybe recently navigated this experience from the school that you're transferring to. So they can check in with you and give you, you know, an idea of where to go as you can encounter scenarios and things like that. So I think leveraging mentorship opportunities for students, even when they're in high school and maybe getting counselors the resources that they need. So students don't fall through the cracks. Students like me that do transfer and are in transient housing and are moving around and things like that. If they weren't there on college night, let's not say, okay, you missed it. That's it. It is what it is. How do we get them into the safety net if they weren't there for the originally scheduled program? So I think things like that would be important is catching the students that are at risk and presenting them with the scenarios that they may encounter and empowering them with the information. You know, and I want to add that everyone is an advisor. 
your faculty, they are advisors, staff at the school, they are advisors. So it's not just the work of the professional advisor. And we know that advising could be much better. And you mentioned something about when a student comes to your office and they're thinking about leaving school. I find those hallway conversations all the time. And I'm always talking students out of leaving school, but also trying to come up with what are some paths that can make them successful? So I'm meeting with a student after midterm grades. He has six Fs. He's a basketball player. And we're talking about it. He hadn't opened his computer. He hadn't opened his textbook. He was clearly here to play basketball. And his basketball coach was encouraging him to stay. And we had to have this conversation that you can only stay one year. Your basketball coach is encouraging you to stay, but that only gives you one year. We need to step back and figure out your life. What's best for you? So I invited his family to meet with me, which was amazing. And they met with me. It's like, we have to figure out this kid's life. He was not prepared to go to college. He's not ready. And his only focus is basketball. And failing these courses is now going to be a detriment to him. Yeah. Because he will never become that basketball star with all Fs. He will be starting his college career failing. So how do we recover from this? So that was the first time I've actually had to advise someone out of college and on a different path so that they could be successful. But it takes a lot of heart. It really takes getting to know the whole person and that all things are not equal for everybody, right? So I want to give you the final words, Nicole, because you brought so much knowledge to us today. I love talking to you. So what would you say to students? What would you say to parents? And what would you say to other advisors? Ask questions. If you're not sure, ask questions or just speak your truth. Even if that's not a question, if it's coming and telling your advisor, I'm struggling, this is what I have going on. I'm not doing well in my classes. Like advisors, we reach out because you know we get reports that students are not doing well in classes. Feel free to let your advisor know, like, no, I am not passing my class because I'm struggling because I contracted COVID or because I'm too busy working, you know, I have to provide for my kids, my family, there's all kinds of things that our students are struggling with. So I think the important thing is owning your truth and finding strength in that, as opposed to feeling like you need to hide it because the reality is more people at the, at the college level are like you than you think more people have gone through the struggle than what you think, just because things are packaged and look pretty now, right doesn't mean that the struggle wasn't behind that face or isn't even still going on. So I think that's the important thing is ask questions. And because sometimes we don't know the right questions to ask is just own your truth about what's going on in your life and seeing who can help you with what I think that that's so important and advocating, advocating for yourself. I think I have it on a profile somewhere at the university that like, is like, be your own best advocate. Cause that's the truth. I learned early on, nobody's going to fight harder for me than myself because I wanted, I wanted to change my life. I wanted to change other people's lives. So you have to be willing to advocate and fight for yourself. So that's the biggest thing. And then also for advisors to keep advocating for our students to do better and find better for them and building relationships across campus. So I'm going to kind of plug you ladies now after building me up so much here. Thank you. (laughs) 
But you guys are a tremendous resource on campus to our students. And I love the partnership that we have, especially within the School of Ed. You know, what was nice is last night I was talking with Amy about a student and we had both had already talked to to the students. So that's the nice thing. It wasn't all on me as the advisor because we have a different lens in which we've met and experienced the student through the program. So it was nice to know that the student was supported from multiple angles in terms of their decision regarding the program and things like that. And what's nice is as advocates, we also have access to different resources and different knowledge base. So, so many times I've been in meetings with even, you know, you, Amy, Joy, any of the other faculty where we step back and like, no, 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 there's got to be another option. There's another alternative. And especially in school of ed, we get so creative with funding paths and things like that and how to overcome these obstacles for students. Like, okay, so funding's an issue. And we start really digging down and asking students questions so we can help find scholarships. I think that's the the big message here is that we got to keep fighting for our students in multiple facets. Sometimes we're like, oh, well, they should know they should be prepared. You're in college now. Be prepared. That's the name of the game. No, because they weren't necessarily told how to prepare for college or didn't have the resources. So now it's let's help them even the playing field so they can really reach their true potential. Yeah, it is certainly a collaboration. We have endless emails and phone calls to each other saying, here's the situation. Here's the scenario. What do you think? You know, Dr. Amy, what do you think? Dr. Joy, what do you think? And we are all the three of us are having these conversations about our candidates especially our teacher ed candidates, right? Like that's the huge thing right now. Like we're facing a teacher shortage. How do we eliminate the barriers to success to help people that are already working in the field as paraprofessionals that want to come and become licensed instructors? You know, they need to maintain their job, but they also need to attend their classes and even care for their families and be present for them. So I think that's great that we're spearheading initiatives to make programs more flexible. And I love what you were saying about owning your truth. The more students can be transparent, communicate, be their own advocates, the more people they get on their side. Absolutely. The more people who can be their champions. When I know what's going on with a student, and I know this for a lot of other faculty as well, we will do whatever we can to be supportive, but it's owning your truth and being your own advocate. I think those are great words to live by. Yeah. And don't be afraid to put yourself out there as a professional, right? Like sometimes we'll see students struggling and we're afraid. Can I do that? I see them walking every day. To Am I allowed to drive them? You know, there's been situations I've encountered. I'm like, am I going to get in trouble if I overstep that line? But it doesn't hurt to ask the question. Hey, I noticed this. Are you having problems getting to school? You know, or a student sleeping in your class or eating while you're in class instead of like counting them, like, why are you always eating? Ask the questions to see if they need assistance or help. There's a different way, as you said, you get to learn students, you can approach things. But yeah, I appreciate getting to talk to you ladies today about this and digging deeper into academic advising, you know, that we need to elevate and bring to the forefront to students as resources. Thank you, Nicole, so much for being with us. It's a great conversation. Thank you, ladies. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you. Our listeners, did theory or practice win the match? 
I think it was theory probably this time. Uh, practice. Until next time, we're Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy. <laughs>